You know, the Christmas story, we, uh, we hear it all over the place this time of year. And a lot of us, we are so familiar with the Christmas narrative. I mean, we can quote it word for word. You know, we know just about every detail about it. And the danger there is we can get so familiar with it that we lose our awe with it, right? We lose the wonder around it. Then there's, there's others that uh, they maybe know a little bit about the Christmas story, you know, generally, but they don't know a lot of the ins and outs. They don't know the details. Um, and what they need is to, to go a little deeper and to have someone maybe uncover some things. And when that happens, it's like their eyes open and the wonder comes in and, and it takes on all new meaning. Um, so wherever you are, on the side of your familiarity with the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story. Uh, My hope and my prayer is as we start this new series together, the lyrics of Christmas, where we'll look at four songs of Christmas uh, that maybe you didn't realize were even part of the Christmas story. Um, They're songs that the key characters of the Christmas narrative express and proclaim, and there's so much in that. Uh, that we can gain from and learn. So my hope is as we explore that together, that the Christmas story that maybe has become incredibly familiar to you will take on all new meaning. Or if you're not really familiar at all, and you don't really know what we're talking about, that by the end of this series you will, and more importantly, you'll know the Savior that the Christmas story is all about. That's my hope and prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time today. We thank you that we've been able to proclaim praise. We thank you that we've been able to worship through giving. We thank you that we've been able to have fun together and laugh together. That is a gift in and of itself. We thank you, Father, now as we look into your word, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the relevance of your word. We thank you that through your spirit, we can literally hear from you as we read your words and as we allow the Holy Spirit to illumine what we read and to explain it to our hearts and our minds. What a privilege. And I pray that as we launch into this new series that focuses on very specific attitudes and testimonies of what you have done in in lives of people who were impacted through the coming of your Son in very specific ways, I pray, Father, that you would take what is said, what is heard, and that by your Spirit you would apply it to our hearts, to our minds, to our lives, to our circumstances today. May we not be the same when we see and hear all that we will through this series. Just as the people who heard your announcements who were directly impacted by the coming of your son, just as they were never the same. We commit this time and ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the lyrics of Christmas, lyrics of Christmas, four songs that are really, you can think of them as as psalms, just like David's psalms, psalms of praise, psalms of prayer, psalms of worship, psalms of, of passionate 
a personal expression of thanks for all that God has done. And, and they are songs, kind of like hymns of worship, but that doesn't mean necessarily that they, they were literally sung. Okay, um, But these four songs are just absolutely amazing in what they show us about the coming of our Savior. Just incredible, incredible stuff. Can't wait to share that with you. So the first song we're going to look at today is Mary's song. Mary's song, the mother of Jesus. And Mary shows us a picture of what it means to be in deep awe of God. She really was a person that had a very internal and a very constant awe of God. And we see that expressed through her song. We also are going to see what she shows us is that God honors people that honor his word. God honors people that honor his word. He delights in using people that love his word, that know his word. And Mary shows us that as well. So that's kind of the broad uh, of what we see through her song. I want to go over some of the specifics with you. I want to go deeper into what we see through her song. And in Mary's song, we see her first giving personal praise for undeserved favor personal praise for undeserved favor. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, we already had that read for us. Thank you, Kira, for doing that. Really appreciate that, setting the the framework for us, setting the mindset. And in this passage, we just see such beautiful, powerful praise and worship given to the God that Mary knew very, very well. So personal praise for undeserved favor is what we see here first, and looking particularly at verses 46 through 50. Here we go. And Mary said, this is after she's been given the announcement from Gabriel about the, the Holy One that she's going to, to be the mother of and the special circumstances of all of that. Then she goes to Elizabeth, her cousin, who's also supernaturally pregnant, not in the same way, but still supernatural nonetheless. And Elizabeth hears her and she sees her coming. And John leaps in her belly with joy. And Elizabeth gives this great pronouncement over Mary and over the fruit of her womb, Jesus. And this is Mary's reply. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is an echo of Hannah's prayer or song of praise. First Samuel 2, 1 through 10. You don't, don't turn there, but it would be a great Bible study for you to do on your own. Maybe a parallel to look at all the connections. It's not word for word. It's not Mary quoting Hannah, but it closely echoes Hannah's own prayer or praise song that she gave with Samuel, with God remembering her and being kind to her and granting her a son, Samuel. It's very, very similar. And that shows us that Mary knew God's word, and she loved it. It was part of her. It was part of her mindset. It was part of her heart, and it couldn't help but come out in her own prayer or song of praise. Church, that's what we need to be like. We need to be so saturated by God's word, so inundated by it, so in love with it, so focused on it, cover to cover, that it can't help but come out in our prayers. And in our praises of God. When's the last time 
you actually prayed God's word to him in your prayer time. And that's not, a, that's not guilting you. I just want you to think about that. Because there is, there is tremendous beauty and encouragement for our own hearts and minds. And a tremendous testimony to God of how we value his word and believe it when we pray it to him in our own prayers. We need to be people like that that know God's word so much, that love it so much, that it can't help but come out in our own prayers and praise ongoing in a continual way, just like it was with Mary. And it wasn't just Hannah's own song that she remembered and and just kind of customized. She gave in all of this, this song as we go through it, there's at least a dozen allusions to other Old Testament passages to prophecies and statements throughout the law and the prophets. It's something that shows us Mary was a woman of God's word. She knew it. She honored it. She loved it. She held it high. And therefore God lifted her high to a place of honor because she honored his word. So Mary says, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? She tells us, because... He has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. What Mary's opening stanza, if you will, the opening line of her her lyrics to God of praise, her praise song, what it shows us, what it reminds us, what it teaches us is that worship is more than words. Worship is more than words. You, you see words given here, and they are full of praise, and they are full of worship, but we, we need to look deeper. We need to look past the words that she utters because it shows us that Mary understood something, that she understood that genuine worship of God, genuine praise given to God, it has to go deeper than just lip service. More is required. More is required. More goes into praising God than just simply saying words or singing words. It's really easy for us, especially in this country and in this culture, to sing our hearts out, you know, every Sunday, in the car, in the shower, and and to have praise songs be what we sing and to know all these great songs that contain great truth and great praise. But the danger is, and keeping it from going any farther than that. That's the danger that we're all susceptible to. Having a very surface level only attitude of praise. But what we see here in what Mary expresses is that she understood something about what true praise does. And that's that it occupies your whole being. Real, genuine praise to God is going to to think about all that he is all of his holiness, all of his power, all of his goodness, everything he is that you're not. It's going to focus on that. And and that's going to take it much, much farther than just the mouth. It's going to settle down into your heart. 
It's going to settle down into your soul, as she says here. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. It's not just my mind. It's not just my mouth. It's my very soul. The deepest part of who I am praises the greatness of God. It's not an emotional thing. Emotions aren't bad, okay? Emotions are good. They're gifts from God. But what we tend to do as human beings is we tend to focus too much on emotion. We, we can allow our emotion to drive us on, on everything. And emotions, while they're good, they can also be not so good, right? And they can come and they go. They're up and they're down. So if we are ruled by our emotions, we're going to be all over the place. And if we're limiting our worship to God to a, an emotional response to the right kind of feeling, I just, I just don't feel that particular song, so I really just can't worship. Have you ever thought that? Maybe. Have you ever been, though, so captured by a certain song and it just does something in your heart and, and you just, you can't help but lift up your voice and lift up your hands with it, right? And that's, that's good too. That's fine. My, my point though is, if we are ruled by the right kind of emotion to give the right kind of worship, we're missing the whole point. Because our, our reflection or our expression of worship should be part of what is going on at the heart level. And our praise and our worship to God should stem from a very deep place within us where our whole being is praising God for his greatness. She continues on in verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the entire person that Mary is, is talking about here. She's saying, all that I am, every part of my being, my, my whole mind, my whole heart, my soul, my spirit, everything, I cannot help but be absolutely consumed by the greatness of God, His glory, His majesty. I can't get enough of it. And all that I am praises Him. Worship is more than words. Worship of God involves more than just simply stating words. And the other thing that we see here, what she shows us that she teaches us through this amazing, just opening statement really, is that an accurate view of God leads to an accurate view of ourselves. An accurate view of God leads to an accurate view of ourselves. She tells us in the next verse, 48, she says, because the reason that my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, the reason my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, the reason I'm just totally captured by Him, the reason He occupies every part of my being is because He being who He is, great, high, lifted up, exalted above me, above every other person, above the earth, above the heavens, because of who and what he is, yet he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. She says at the end of verse 47 that her spirit is rejoicing in God, my Savior. That's significant too. My Savior, she says. Not just the Savior. Not Israel's Savior. My Savior. That's so important. Don't miss that. 
Because until we get from thee to my, we're not redeemed. Do you hear me on that? Until we get changed thee to my, we're not redeemed. And there's all sorts of people right now, today, maybe you're one of them. If so, I'm so glad you're here. But if not here, other places, in places of worship, there's people meeting all over this nation and the world that are sitting in chairs like you're sitting in who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They know about a Savior. They even know Jesus is the Savior, but he's not their Savior. And that's just the Sunday morning gatherings. That's not counting the millions of people who have never even set foot in a place of worship and who have no plans to do so. And they think they're fine. They think they're good. They think they're all right. You've been there. I've been there. At some point, we've had to realize, no, I'm not good. There's nothing good in me. And my only hope of knowing God in any way other than judge is through making Jesus my Savior. Have you done that today? That's my question for you right here, right now. Have you gone from knowing Jesus as a Savior or even as the Savior to knowing him as your Savior? Do you know him? You've got to ask yourself that. Do I know him personally, internally for me? Mary understood the need for a Savior. She knew she was a sinner. She knew that she personally needed a Savior and that God, her Savior, was granting her the privilege. This is just, this should blow your mind. The privilege, the honor, the undeserved favor of being the vessel, the instrument to bring the Savior, her Savior, into the world. (laughs) And she knew, Mary knew, that she needed her son to be her savior. I mean, that's crazy, right? Let that cook a little while. Mary had to put her personal faith and trust in her son as her savior, just like all of us have had to do. And if she hadn't done that, then she too would be hopeless. In other words, what I'm saying is, there is nothing magical about Mary. I mean, we, you know, respect her and, and be thankful for her, her heart before God and what God did through her. Absolutely. She deserves respect. She deserves honor. But where the, the Catholic church and the Catholic religion has done an incredible disservice is that they have attached to her and read into her something that scripture never ever talks about or mentions or allows and something that she herself would be absolutely devastated to think that happened, which is that the Catholic church assigned to Mary this very false doctrine, which is still held to every single day that Mary was sinless that God supernaturally, very specifically, kept her from the taint of sin at her conception and preserved her all through her life in perfection, and that's how Jesus was able to be born perfectly. Not so. Not so. 
false, wrong, lie from the enemy. Mary was a human being with a human sin problem. And she knew she needed a Savior just like all of us need the Savior. She acknowledged that. Only sinners need saviors, right? So she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Mary knew where she was in life. Mary knew how she was. Mary knew who she was. She knew her limitations. She didn't have illusions of grandeur. She didn't think more of herself than she should have. And I don't think it's just because she was born into poor circumstances. I don't think it was just because she was so young, probably 15, 16 years old. I don't think that's why she was so humble. I think the reason that Mary is so humble and recognizes her humility and her need of God, not just for salvation, but for all things in life, the reason that she had an accurate view of herself is because she had an accurate view of her God. We need to remember that, church, all we need to adopt the same thing. We need to think much of God, which will naturally result in thinking of ourselves the right way. Not too much, but not too little either. The right balance. That's what comes from thinking of God in the right way. He will keep us balanced in our perception and perspective of ourselves. Okay, So she had this accurate view of God, which allowed her to have an accurate view of herself. She recognized her need for God. And she says, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, not because I'm the blessed virgin, not because I'm Mary and I have this this magic potion around me that sets me up uh, far above and beyond any of my fellow human beings. No, she's blessed and all will call her blessed because, verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. You see that distinction? She didn't say, because I am mighty Mary. No, the reason I'm blessed and all will call me blessed in future generations is because I was able, with God's grace and mercy, to be used by him to bring about great things. And his name's holy. His name is to be revered. And his name alone. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. There's a lot of great people that God has given us in our lives, in our time, in our world, godly people that we should look to and we should even pattern our lives after. But church, remember this. The one and the only one to receive our total praise and glory, the only one who is truly, purely holy is only God. No man. No woman, no matter how great they might be. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. So that's that's what we see first. That's, That's the first thing we see that Mary is doing in her song. She's giving personal praise for undeserved favor. Next, next she is proclaiming God's power. She's proclaiming God's power. Look at verses 51 through 53. He... The mighty one, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. And don't miss this comparison, this contrast. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is what God does. This is what God does. What God is and what he does and what he shows us throughout all of history and what Mary saw and what she is announcing and what we need to remember is that God always stands above the status quo. God always stands above the status quo. I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful that God is not constrained by cultural norms and cultural precedents. You know, that that he's not defined that way. Because what we see here is a very, very stark contrast to what we're used to seeing out in the world. Like, humanity doesn't operate this way, you know? Um, What we see in our experience and, and in our dealings, what we're used to seeing is that those that are proud tend to stay proud, right? And there's not much that happens to change their arrogance, it usually just inflates even more. I mean, that's what we see in society. That's what we see in culture. I mean, think of the political landscape. Everybody who has power, they're scared of losing power, and they want to get more and more and more of it. That's their ambition. That's what drives them. Money, power, fame. I mean, that's celebrities. That's politicians. You know, that's just that's the way it works. You have it, you want more of it, and you're scared of losing what you have. So we're not used to seeing the proud be humbled. We're not used to seeing that. We're not used to seeing them brought low. We're not used to seeing them scattered in society and in culture. But what God has done all through history, and we see it page after page in Scripture, and what he does ultimately, and the culmination of of all that happens in his son, is that he does indeed scatter the proud. And he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. We see over and over through history, we see God toppling the mighty. People who built up their thrones and their empires and their kingdoms. And they, they look at themselves as God, as it were. And God says, oh really? Okay, let's see what happens next. And then he, you know, he topples them and he shows them his great power. And he shows them his grandeur. And he shows them and reminds them that the only reason they have any position whatsoever is because he put them in that place of power. Think of what Jesus told Pilate when Pilate got frustrated at at Jesus not answering him. And Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to release you? I have the power to keep you here or release you? Basically, I have the power of life and death over you? Jesus says, oh, Pilate. Oh, Pilate. He says, you wouldn't have any authority unless it were given to you by my Father for this very purpose. You know, we, we humans, we, uh, we're so little, little bitty creatures. But we tend to think of ourselves as big, strong, mighty, power, unstoppable, you know. And, I mean, we must give the angels, like, constant pain in their stomach from laughing so hard. Right? You know, like, did you hear what he said? Oh, you got to come here. Listen. And then they, they listen again, you know. Maybe they have this ability to rewind our speech. I don't know. But, you know, it's like, like really, did he just say 
did he just say that he's like, you know, unstoppable? Did he say that there's no one like him? No one can touch him? Really? Wow. You know, God, God does topple the mighty. And he can at any point, any moment, any, anything he wants to do, he can do. And he can accomplish any purpose that he desires. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That's not because God doesn't like rich people, okay? It's not because God has something against wealth, not at all. What this is showing us is that people who understand their need of him and understand their spiritual poverty, they're going to find satisfaction. They're going to find fulfillment. You know, they're going to be satisfied. They're going to they're going to find in God alone what they need and only in him what they need. And they know that they're not they're not looking to riches and and material things to satisfy. Their trust isn't in their possessions. Their trust is in the God who alone can fulfill them. That's why the rich will be sent away empty. It's kind of the rich young ruler concept. He went away sad because he had many possessions and rather his possessions had him. That's why the rich young ruler went away from Jesus weeping. If the rich continue to focus on their riches and their material possessions as their satisfaction, then they will always be empty. They will always come up empty. They will go away empty. But, but the lowly who understand their desperate need of God, they will be satisfied with good things. We need to remember that at this time of year. Oh, man, we're so focused on what's underneath the tree. Even if we say we're not, we are. You know, it's, it's beautiful and it's great and it's wonderful and I love presents just like anybody. But man, when we get so focused on how many of those there are under there or, or what I could still possibly ask for or hope to get or buy for myself, you know, whatever it is. I mean, because we see all these great deals and these great sales and they're all over the place. Buy, 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 get, get, get. And even if we don't mean to, we can be we can be taken by the material aspect of, of this season. Just Let's just remember, our hope is not in anything at all. Nothing. No thing, no matter how special it might be to us, no matter how neat, no matter how good, it's not going to satisfy. It won't. Only in God will we find satisfaction. Only in Him. So, that's what we see through this second part of of Mary's song that God always stands above the status quo. And then finally, finally she declares as she wraps up this incredible song of praise, finally we see the promise kept. And she's declaring that the promise, the promise has been kept. The last part of the passage here, verses 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel remembering, isn't that a great word? Isn't that a great part? Remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. In other words, what he said he would do, he did. He made good on his word. And God will always, always make good on his word, church. Whatever he has said from the beginning to the end of his word, cover to cover, every sentence, every line, every statement that he has promised, he will bring about. He will fulfill it all. 
We're used to seeing disappointment. We're used to experiencing disappointment. We're used to people not living up to what they say they'll do, right? We're used to people not delivering. We're used to what it feels like to be let down, and we let people down just as much. That's what we do as humans. We, we give these great promises, and then we can't deliver on them. We find disappointment in one another. But in God, we will never, ever have to be disappointed. And we never will be. We'll never have to wonder, oh, can God follow through on what he said? Can he keep his word on this or, or this or that? Yes, he absolutely can. He absolutely will. He absolutely does. And what Mary shows us through this great statement of of remembering that God has kept his word and seeing the promise fulfilled, seeing the promise kept in the person of Jesus, his son, his eternal son, who is now her earthly son, what she's seeing in that and announcing to all Israel is, it's finally happened. The promised deliverance, the promised redemption, the promised rescue is here. And that's the same announcement to you and me today. All that we're looking for in all of our lives, all that we're longing for at the the deepest part of ourselves that no relationship and no possession can satisfy or fulfill the rescue that we're desperate for to break us free from our continual sin in all of its hideousness and all of its power. All of that is here. It's in Jesus. Do you believe that today? And what Christmas tells us, what Christmas reminds us, what it shouts to us, is that the Father's faithfulness is fuel for our faith. The Father's faithfulness is fuel for our faith. The reason that we can and should have a deep abiding faith in God is not because of anything that we can bring to the table and and therefore he's obligated to be faithful. It's not because of anything that, that we have seen in our lives that shows us, oh, this is why we can have faith in God because this blessing and that blessing and this provision and that provision, as great as those things are, we don't have faith in God because of what he's done for us as in giving us things. You know, don't, don't cast Santa onto God. We have faith in God because he is faithful. That's that's the motivation for our faith. Because he is so eternally, unconditionally faithful. We see that. We hear that. We can remember that in Jesus. And that's what Christmas is about. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time in your word, this time together. I thank you for your servant, Mary. And I thank you that that she saw very clearly who she was before you. And she saw her need of you. And she knew your word and she loved your word and that is why you honored her. You saw in her a heart that you could use a life you could use to bring your son, our Savior, her Savior into the world. 
and thank you for what she announced and proclaimed and reminded not just her cousin and those around, but us as well, reading this today, what she reminds us about you. You are great. You are holy. You are one who is not bound by society's status quo or cultural norms. You defy all that. You do whatever you want. You accomplish your purpose. You set things on their, on their end, on their head for your glory and for our good. There is no one like you, God. And we give you praise and we give you glory. And I pray by your spirit that you would energize us and empower us that we would give you all of ourselves. That our praise and our worship would indeed go far beyond just words said or words sung. That our worship and praise would be what we're instructed to do in Romans 12. That we would present our bodies, our whole self, as living sacrifices to you in view of all of your mercy, which is just our reasonable act of service. Mm. May that define all of us, I pray. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.